0: Let's stand to our feet as we share God's word together. Come, everyone who thirst, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me hear that your soul may live and I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples, behold, You shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God, and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Happy Easter. We serve a risen Savior. Let us worship and glorify him together.
1: Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him under, away under guard. And then he came and he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber? with swords and clubs to capture me. Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled.
2: Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarter and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him they mocked him saying hail king of the Jews and they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head and when they had mocked him they stripped him of the robe and put his clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they went out, they found the man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put a charge against him that read, This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. he trusts in God let God deliver him now if he desires him for he said I am the son of God and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way now from the sixth hour there was darkness over the old land until the ninth hour and about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying ele, ele, lema sabachthani. that is my God my God And the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tomb after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurion of those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God.
3: After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and he took away the body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about seventy-five pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple. the one who Jesus loved. And she said to them, they have taken our Lord. taken him out of the tomb. We don't know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple. And as they were going toward the tomb, both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their houses. But Mary, she stood weeping outside. And as she wept, she stooped down to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus was laying at one hand and at one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? and she said to him, they have taken away my Lord I don't know where, they, where they've laid him having said this she turned around and saw Jesus standing but did not know it was Jesus Jesus said to her woman why are you weeping whom are you seeking supposing him to be the gardener she said to him sir if you have carried him away tell me where you've laid him and I will take him and Jesus said to her Mary And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, "Rabbanai," which means teacher.
4: why are you crying what are you looking for sir if you have carried him away please
5: tell me where you have laid his body Amen. Amen. Come on, let's sing this song together.
6: why we're here it's why we gather on the lord's day sunday is the lord's day sunday is the day lord where we set aside every sunday to worship the risen savior to worship the king that is exalted to worship the king that has defeated death hell and the grave to worship the king who has defeated sin and sin's power We worship you today. It's why we gather on Easter Sunday. It's why we gather on Resurrection Sunday. It's why we dress up. It's why we we come and we, we do this in honor of you, to worship you. It's why we make a big deal of it, because there is no greater reality than the reality of the resurrected King of the universe. We honor you. We worship you today. We thank you for the reality of the resurrection, the truth of the resurrection that cannot be defeated, the reality that has changed us, that has changed human history. And Lord, I pray that as we are going to take these next few moments and we're going to open your holy word and we're going to teach it We're going to preach about the reality of the resurrection. Lord, I pray that every heart here today would leave with a greater love for Christ. That every heart here today would leave with a greater appreciation for the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection. And I pray that today that every heart that might be far from you today, I pray that they would come to understand the hope of the gospel today, that they would be transformed. I've got to pray today that you would help me to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship through song to worship our resurrected Lord. Thank you for coming here today to come and worship with us on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day. I want to tell you, if you're new here today and this is your first time, we are so glad that you're here today. Would you welcome those who might be new here today? My name is, is Ben Buffkin. I'm the pastor here at Living Word Church, and we are so glad that you're worshiping with us. And just as a way to say thank you for coming and worshiping with us, we, we have a, a gift we'd like to give you. So when we dismiss in prayer and you guys are, are ready to go and spend time with your family for Easter lunch, before you do that, once you make your way to, to, to the foyer, go to that welcome desk that's out in the foyer. Let them know this is your first time and they have a gift they'd like to give you. Just to tell you thank you for coming to worship with us and Find out more about our church here at Living Word. So, this morning I, I'm going to preach a message titled Resurrection Realities. Resurrection Realities. And the, resu- the, the resurrection of Christ is a reality. Some people don't believe the reality of the resurrection, so they're not here today worshiping the risen Savior. But the resurrection is a reality, and there's, there's ways in which we can know that it is a reality. And what we're going to do here today, we're going to look at mark's account of the resurrection in in mark chapter 16 but before we get to the account of the resurrection in mark 16 i just want to tell you a few things here before we get to it i want to tell you firstly that jesus really lived he he really lived he really walked the earth he was a real man that was born of a virgin that that was born of a woman born from heaven Born of a woman, walked the earth, lived a sinless life. He really lived, and he was a man of real history. And there are historians that have documented the real life of Jesus Christ. There are some that would like to say that he really didn't live, that he was just a fairy tale and he was just made up, but he really did live. One famous non-Christian historian, Josephus, writes about the, the real life of Jesus Christ. There were some Roman politicians by the name of Pliny and Tacitus, they also wrote about the life of Christ and about his execution under Pontius Pilate. So, so the first thing we need to understand is that Jesus really lived and there's actually more evidence, more written, more written evidence for the real life of Jesus Christ than there is for the British king, King Arthur. There's actually more written evidence that Jesus really lived. So that's the first thing to tell you before we get to Mark 16. Jesus really lived. Secondly, Jesus really died. He really died. You know, there are people who want to say, okay, well, well, I will agree. There's historical evidence that Jesus really lived. I'll give you that, but Jesus, Jesus really didn't die. He really didn't die. There's theories that have been uh, uh, swirled around for centuries. One of them is called the swoon theory, or, or uh, better stated, the resuscitation theory. And this is the idea that that he was subjected to Roman crucifixion, but at the end of Roman crucifixion, he really didn't die. He just passed out and fainted, and they took his body, and they thought he was dead, and they put him in the tomb, and they rolled the tomb. They rolled the stone over the tomb, and they left, and then he, he got out. But if you know anything about Roman crucifixion, if you study the history of Roman crucifixion, you know that nobody made it out alive Out of Roman crucifixion. No one passed out. And the reason that no one passed out after Roman crucifixion. Is that they ensured that people died when they crucified. Their victims. They ensured that he was dead. And so Jesus really lived. And Jesus really died. He didn't didn't just pass out. He was really dead. And he was really placed in the tomb. The third reality. Before we get to Mark 16. Is that Jesus walked out of the tomb the tomb is really empty jesus really lived he really died and the tomb is really empty it is still empty this is the unavoidable reality of christianity is that the tomb is still empty and people who are detractors against christianity they they, from the beginning during bible times until today people are still trying to come up with reasons why there is an empty tomb because he really did live, and history tells us that, and he really did die. History tells us that, and history tells us he really did go into a tomb. And history shows us that the tomb is still empty. And in fact, in fact, one of the greatest evidences of the empty tomb, the reality of the empty tomb, is what the Sanhedrin did to ensure that Jesus' disciples didn't come and steal the body. They put Roman soldiers to guard outside of the tomb. They put a Roman seal over, over, the, over the tomb, over the, the stone, to where no one could come and break that seal. And if it was broken, then they would know about it. And there were soldiers that were there. And so the tomb could not have, it could not have been a hijacking where they got in and they, they wrestled the Roman soldiers away and they, they stole the body. It would have been known. And in fact, after he was risen, after... They went to the empty tomb and the soldiers went to report it back. They said, look, tell people that his disciples came and stole his body at night. And it says that this story has been spread since that day. Jesus really lived. He really died. The tomb is still empty. And here's the last thing before we get to March 16. His disciples died for that testimony. He really lived, he really died, the tomb is still empty, and his disciples died for that testimony. Many of you here today, you would die for some things, would you not? You would die for your family, and you would die for, for this country if you were called to do that. You would lay down your life for some things, but one thing you would not do is you would not die for something that you know is a lie. You would not die for something that you know you're making up. I'm making, I'm making this up. Jesus really didn't. He really didn't raise. We, we stole his body, and, 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 and I'm going to stand for that. And you know it that you, that you stole the body. You won't, people don't die for lies. His disciples died for the truth that he was truly raised. One of the most profound proofs of the resurrection is not only did his disciples, Jesus' early disciples, die and and. People throughout all of the history of Christianity, many have been martyred for the testimony of the risen Christ. But there's one man who died for the testimony of the resurrection. That was the half-brother of Jesus, James. The Bible says that, that Mary did have other sons and daughters. It says that in the Bible. And it says that one of those sons was James. And it says in the Gospel of John, it says that, that when Jesus walked the earth, that even his brothers His family, his brothers did not believe in him. So James was in a position of doubting. How did James go from a position of doubting to a position of believing? And then in AD 62, history tells us that he was stoned to death for the testimony of the resurrection of his brother. How did he go from that to that? What had to be the resurrection? I love my brother, my earthly brother. But I'm not going to die for a lie that he was raised from the dead when he really wasn't raised from dead. And, and I know he's still alive hiding somewhere. I'm going to go find him and put him in an, in an institution. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die for him. It's one of the most profound proofs of the resurrection that James, the brother of Jesus, laid down his life willingly for the reality that his brother was the son of God that was raised on the third day. So this is the reality of the resurrection, resurrection realities. And today we are going to look at this account from the gospel of Mark. John Mark, he wrote Mark chapter 16, and, and, and let's read the text. We read portions of, of this during our worship time, our music time. Would you, would you open your Bibles, if you have it, to Mark 16? We're going to read the first eight verses, resurrection realities. It says, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where you've laid him. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they, and they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. For they were Afraid. So really the main thrust of what I want to talk to you about this morning is this, is that the reality of the resurrection of Jesus has immediate real life impact. If Jesus is really raised from the dead and he wasn't just a man of history who lived and died and then died like any other human being, if he really did live and die and was buried and was raised, then the resurrection, the main thought here today is that the resurrection of Christ, the reality of the resurrection has immediate real-life impact on these disciples. Immediate, real-life impact. And, and the same is true for us here today. If, if we come to believe through faith that Christ really did live and die, and was crucified for our sins, and was buried and was raised, if, if we really come to believe that Christ was raised, then it has immediate, real-life impact on us. And we'll see it on these early disciples, but... Prayerfully, we'll see it in all of our lives, immediate real life impact. And so we want to look at three of those immediate real life impacts on these disciples, but on all disciples throughout human history, all people. The first immediate real life impact is this. The resurrection communicates good news for sinners. It communicates good news for sinners. That is immediate real life impact, good news for sinners. Look back. At the text, we're really going to look at two verses here today, the verses 7 and verse 8. We're going to unpack this. It says there in verse 7, the first half of verse 7, after Jesus was raised, he says, but go, tell his disciples, the angel says, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, and Peter, that he's going before you to Galilee. So where did the disciples go? Where did they go? But go tell the disciples, where did they go? Well, they fled. They fled. They, they, when, when he was arrested, we, we, we read it, we heard it, read that when he was arrested, they all fled. We see this in Matthew 25, verse 56. It says, but all this has taken place that the scripture that of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. This is after his arrest, his betrayal from Judas. They all fled. When the disciples were mourning, they fled and, and they were mourning no doubt they were questioning what the last three years was all about after he was arrested, after Christ was arrested. There were no doubt they were in hiding. They were in fear for their life because their Lord was arrested. And that means that they were implicated in his crimes because they were his disciples. So they were hiding and in their hiding they were no doubt questioning what was the last three years all about. We assumed that Jesus was coming to be our, our Messiah, to overthrow Rome to free us from oppression. We are Jews and we have waited for our Messiah and and he has finally come and he's showing signs and wonders and miracles and he's healing the sick and raising the dead, but he's been defeated and so they're hiding and they're in mourning. And while they're in hiding and while they're in mourning, trying to figure out what's going on, Jesus is mocked and he's beaten and he's tortured and he's killed. And his body is taken and it's laid in a rich man's tomb while they're in hiding and mourning. And while they're in hiding, the stone is rolled away. And while they're in hiding, Jesus is raised. And while they're in hiding, his disciples know nothing of what is going on there. They're mourning the loss of their Messiah, who they thought came for different reasons. And then... The women followers of Jesus, Mary and the other Mary and other women that followed Jesus, as we read, they showed up to the tomb and the angel tells them, go and tell the disciples that Jesus is not here, but he has written, go tell the disciples. And then there's two words that come next that has immediate real life impact, not only on the disciples who are about to hear the news, but on one person in particular, go tell the disciples that could have been enough to tell everybody. But then the angel says, and Peter. A conjunction and a name. And Peter. A conjunction and a name has two has has powerful implications. Go tell my disciple go tell the disciples and go tell Peter. Go tell Peter that I am risen. Why Peter? Why single Peter out? Why single Peter out? Because Peter needed good news. Why did Peter need good news about the risen Savior? Because Peter was a sinner. The real life immediate impact of the resurrection is that the resurrection is good news for sinners like Peter. Peter was a bold disciple. He was the one that whenever Jesus asked a question, who do men say that I am? Peter was the one who says, hey, I'm going to raise my hand. Have you ever been around somebody? They're the ones who always raise their hand in class for the answers. You've been around those people. Don't they aggravate you? They always have the answer. Peter was that guy. He was the one who was always going to raise his hand because he always had the answer. Who do men say that I am? I got it, Jesus, I know. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then, and Jesus says, flesh and blood's not revealed that to you, but my father who is in heaven. And then Jesus even tells him, I'm going to build my church on you. You're going to be a foundation, pillar stone of the church. You're going to be a great leader to see the gospel move forward. and, And you don't know what this is all about yet. And Jesus begins to tell him, hey, I got to go, I got to die, I got to suffer, I got to die, but I'm going to be raised. And Peter says what? He's Again, he's raising his hand again, he's putting his foot in his mouth, and he says, no, Lord, you cannot die, far be it from you. And what does Jesus tell the loud mouth Peter? He says, get behind me, Satan, for you have an earthly mindset and not a heavenly one. Peter didn't understand the Father's will. He didn't get, he didn't understand and the Lord goes on to tell Peter, he says, Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny that you ever knew me. Three times you will deny me before the rooster crows. What is Peter? Lifting up his hands, first in the class, lifting his hands. What does he say? I'll never. I'll never do it. I would die before I would deny you. And Jesus says, oh, yeah, you will die. But you're going to die in a way that you have no control over it. Peter has no clue what the, he's talking about. And what happens? The Lord is a true prophet. What happens when Peter is pressed about knowing Christ? You're his disciple. You're his disciple. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Once, twice, he denied. Third time. He even denied. Listen, he even denied the questioning of a young servant girl. Look what the text says in one of the gospels. It says, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. And immediately the rooster crowed. And one of, the gospels, one of the gospels accounts says that Jesus and Peter had eye contact. And it says that Peter wept bitterly. He left and wept bitterly. The scriptures point out f- from the angel, the message was to the women. Go tell the disciples and Peter because Peter needed good news. I love what First Corinthians 15 says. It's not going to be on the screens, but First Corinthians 15 is, is believed to be one of the earliest creeds of the church written some three to five years after the resurrection of Christ. First Corinthians 15, three through eight, and it says this. It says that when the resurrection happened that the disciples were, go to, were, were, were sent to tell Cephas, which is the, the Greek word for Peter, go tell Cephas and the other disciples, singling out Peter. So what, it, what does this communicate to us? The immediate real-life impact is that the resurrection tells us that the gospel is for sinners. It communicates good news for sinners. And Peter communicates that the gospel is for the whole world, but the gospel is for you. It's for the whole world, but it's for you. Go tell the disciples, go tell everyone else that I am risen, but Tell you, and this is the gospel message that Christ is raised for the whole world to know that He is the risen Savior. But Christ was raised for you, for Anne Peter, for Anne John, for Anne Sally, for Anne Bill, for Anne Stephen, for Anne Kristen, for Anne, Anne, fill in your name, for Anne you. Tell I'm here to tell you that Christ was raised. He was raised for you. The Lord pursues sinners. This is the heart of the gospel message. He singles us out. He seeks to save. And this is the point of the resurrection. This is the point of the gospel. We see it all throughout scripture. In Luke 19, you have Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Tax collectors were wicked back then. They're still wicked today, aren't they? (laughs) Paying all those taxes. The more money you make, the more taxes you pay. But back in those days, tax collectors were even worse crooks than they are now. And the Pharisees didn't understand why Jesus would hang around tax collectors. But what did, what did Jesus say in Luke 19.10? He told us to Zacchaeus, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. For the Ann Peters. For the Ann Zacchaeus' He came specifically for those who are sinners, who are lost, who need a savior. First Timothy chapter one, the apostle Paul says this in verse 16, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? To save sinners. Paul said, of whom I am the foremost. He came to save sinners. Special invitation. That's what I think of when I, when I read Ann Peter. I think of a special invitation A special letter in the mail just for Peter. Hey, go tell the disciples, mail the letter to all the disciples, but put a special letter in a special envelope with a special stamp and send it off to Peter especially. And Peter. You ever got a letter in the mail and you look at the letter and boy, they're they're wanting you to know that you are the best you 're the best person ever. you are a VIP they want they want, that, they want you to come and, 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 and they want to tr- and, and, and treat you special and, 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 and you 're invited to a special uh, a banquet or a special sale or a special event and they 're trying to through that letter to let you know that you 're special they 're trying to to dupe you and to believe that you 're the only one getting that letter. Have you seen that type of junk mail that you look at and you throw it in the garbage right? You know, the problem is, is if you ever do get duped by that, what you don't realize is that your neighbor over here got the letter and your neighbor over there got the letter and the neighbor across the street got the letter and the whole neighborhood got the same letter. The whole city got the same letter. So what does it do? It cheapens the invitation. It cheapens the, the, the invitation. It's generic. You know, what's powerful about the gospel is that the gospel is both a VIP invitation And a global call that is not cheapened by its scope. Isn't
5: that powerful?
6: The gospel is a VIP invitation for all the Ann Peters here today. Do I have any Ann Peters here today that God died for you? But he died for the whole world that all might believe. That all might believe. It's for you, and it's for your neighbor, and it's for their neighbor, and it's for the whole neighborhood. It's for everyone. And Peter, go tell Peter. have a VIP invitation for you, Peter. There is immediate real-life impact in Peter's life and in these disciples' life. Jesus is raised, and that's good news for sinners like Peter. It's good news for sinners like Peter. The resurrection communicates good news for all sinners, that forgiveness is available through Christ, and that we can be justified before a holy God. I love what Romans 4 says. It says, But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It was counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our, trans- for our trespasses. That means he was crucified for our sins. And he was what? Raised for our justification. That means that we can be justified before a holy God by placing faith in the substitutionary work of Christ on the cross. He became our substitute. The immediate real life impact of the, of the resurrection of Christ is that it is good news for sinners like us. Good news for sinners like us, like Peter and like us. The second real life impact of the resurrection is this. Is that the resurrection reminds us that God keeps his promises. It's good news for sinners that he's raised. We can be forgiven. But it reminds us that God keeps his promises. Look back at the text. The second half. of Verse 7. Go tell. The disciples and Peter. He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Just as he told you just as he told you that is so good when i was writing this message in my office this week uh i could have done some cartwheels and some flips and some i could have high-fived everybody but i keep my office door shut while i'm studying for preaching because i'd get so so distracted during times like this because i don't want to talk to everybody do you look what's in the text it says just as he told you and the first thing that came to my mind is that god keeps his promises these disciples They didn't want to hear that Jesus was going to die. They had other plans for Jesus than he had for himself. But he told them, didn't he? He told them, I'm going to die. I'm going to go. Look at Matthew 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. He began to tell him. He told them many things about the the kingdom of God and about his death and his resurrection. But they didn't get it. They didn't understand it because they didn't have eyes to see it yet. But God keeps his promises. And it happened just as he said. Can you imagine the thoughts that were flooding the minds as Jesus appears to them over the next days and weeks? For 40 days, it says that Jesus, the book of Acts says he appeared to over 500 people, to his disciples, before he was ascended. It's amazing. Can you imagine the thoughts flooding their mind, thinking back to all the things that Jesus had told them? And it was all clicking, it was all making sense. They knew now that Jesus was not just a potential Messiah king who had been tragically killed. They were now understanding that he was God in the flesh. Because just as he said, he did it. Just as he had prophesied, just as he said, I will be crucified, but I will be raised on the third day, it really happened. God is a God who keeps his promises. We see it all throughout Scripture that God is a promise keeper. Why does God keep promises? Because he can't help it. He rolls out of bed and he keeps promises. Sometimes we roll out of bed and we break promises, don't we? If God did sleep, the Bible says he doesn't slumber or sleep. But if he would sleep and he rolled out of bed, he would be a promise keeper. He would never be late to work because he promised to show up on time. He would never not work hard because he has integrity. He's a promise keeper. He was a promise keeper. Can you imagine being raised with Jesus as a sibling? No wonder James didn't believe in him. He did. Jesus did nothing wrong. James is like, oh, he's the golden child. He's the golden child. He's he always kept his promises. He never lied. He wasn't just Jesus a man. He was Jesus, a man who was fully man, but was fully God. He could not lie. He could not break his promises because he's God. The Bible says this. Numbers 23: God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said? Has he said it? He'll do it. Or has he spoken? Will he not fulfill it? I love what Titus 1, 1 1-2 says. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. You know, I think because Christ kept his promise that he was going to die and he was going to rise, I think we can bank on the fact that that he's preparing eternal life for us because he's God and he never lies. I love Isaiah 55, verse 11. It says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God is faithful. God is a promise keeper. And the immediate real life impact to these earthly disciples, these first century disciples, that they're realizing, wait a minute, this is good news for us who abandoned him, who fled. We are sinners. Can you imagine that sense of guilt? But now there was hope. He was raised. Maybe he'll give me another chance. This is good news for sinners. And the immediate real life impact is he did say he was going to do this. And look, he did it. He fulfilled it. He was raised from the dead. He keeps his promises. Sometimes we break our promises because things are out of our control. But God never breaks his promises because everything is in his control. He's in control. Therefore, he never breaks his promises. Many of us can relate personally to being a child who was disappointed by promises not kept. You, ever, you remember growing up you had some promises that your mom made. Your dad made. Your grandparents made. A, a teacher made. An authority figure made. And, and they didn't keep their promises. How about as a parent? you you remember the face of your children when you break a promise? Oh, it's devastating. You feel terrible. Now, And how about the times... You break your promise because things are out of your control and you have to apologize. There's nothing I can do about it. There's no, I can't stop this from happening. And so I, I know I promised. I know I said I would fulfill it. I know I said I'd do it. I know I said I'd show up. I know I said, but, but I had to stay late here. And, and this happened and, and this car accident and this traffic jam and this, and this and this and this. And we break our promises because we are human and we are frail. But God never breaks his promises just as he said he will do it. Just as his word says and the promises of his word are spoken, he will fulfill it. God keeps his word. He keeps his word. He is faithful to fulfill his promises just as he told you. What is God? What has God told us in his word that he'll do? What's he told us? What are his promises? Here's some promises from God's word. Those who believe in Christ will be justified. That's a promise. That's a fact. You can take it to the bank. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved and you will be justified. To be justified means that you can stand before the court of heaven And it can be just as if you've never sinned. That Christ can take his righteousness and give it to you. And you can be righteous based upon his obedience. What's another thing that God promises from his word? The justified, those that are right before God will be conformed into the image of Christ. What that means is, is that those who have been made right with God through faith in Christ. We're going to become like Christ. As we behold him, as we read his word, as we... Come and gather with fellow believers in Christ, we will become more like Christ. What I am now, thankfully, I will not be forever. My impatience and my anger, and my jealousy, and my envy and the sins that beset me. As I pursue Christ, I am promised in his word, as I behold him in his word, as I submit. To the Lord in his word, he will make me more like Christ. Isn't that a wonderful promise that you don't have to stay like you are? You wives, you can elbow your husbands and say, this is good news for our marriage. Or vice versa. You don't have to be like that forever. You can be changed. So many of us, we try to change ourselves and white knuckle it. Quit trying to white knuckle yourself into becoming like Christ. How about you let the Holy Spirit do it? It's a promise. Here's another promise. The Lord will discipline his children. Now, here's how the Lord makes us like Christ. He disciplines us. You love discipline? The book of Hebrews says that discipline's difficult. It's painful in the temporary. But in the long term, it produces a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. One of the evidences you're a believer is that the Lord gives you a whooping every now and then. And how, how does he give me a whooping and give you a whooping? Through his word. You ever been spanked when you read the Bible? You open up like, oh, God, help me, forgive me, cleanse me, make me more like Jesus. It's called discipline. Here's another promise. God will get glory through those who are submitted to his will. He will get glory through your life. He will be glorified. If you are submitted to his will, no matter what comes in your life, all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Here's another promise. God will be faithful to provide all that we need. You're lacking things right now. High inflation, high gas prices, everything going up, everything going up. You're struggling with some of your material needs. The Bible says that there's a promise that he will provide all you need. Maybe not all you want, but he will provide all you need according to his riches in glory. All you need. Here's another promise. The children of God We'll have peace in troubled times. There's a lot of trouble going on around us, isn't there? Sometimes you just got to turn off the news. There's trouble everywhere. There's trouble all over our country. There's trouble in other countries. There's wars. There's rumors, rumors of wars. There's rumors of nuclear wars. There's rumors of, I mean, it is unreal, the trouble going on. There's shootings in malls. There's. I mean, it's just everywhere you turn, Trouble, 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 and the trouble is all around, but the trouble can be near. The trouble can be at your doorstep. It cannot just be on the news, but it can be in the front door, knocking on your front door. Trouble is there. Pain is there. Sickness is there. Disease is there. Cancer is there. Trouble comes knocking, but you know what's powerful about the word of God in the life of the believer is that the promise of God is that the children of God will have peace in troubled times. It's just as he told you. In troubled times, no matter what comes, you can have peace. And the Bible says that it is a peace that surpasses human understanding. And what that means is is that by, from a human perspective, we should not have peace. Look at the world all around us. From a human perspective, we should all be on Xanax. But from a heavenly perspective. We have a peace that prescription medication can't give us. We have a joy and a peace that the world can't give us any. They, they cannot take it away. Just as he told you, he's a promise keeping God. This is a real life impact of the resurrection. Don't underplay the resurrection, my brothers and sisters. Don't underplay it. Don't undervalue it. Don't, don't put it off just something we celebrate once a year. No, it is a daily celebration in your life of the real life impact of the resurrection. If Christ is raised, then his word is true and he will always keep his promises. Amen. Here's another promise. I, can keep, I just preach this for the rest of the time. We're almost done. God is preparing a heavenly home for us. He says that in John. If I, if, 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 if I wasn't doing it, what I have told you, that I was doing it. I'm a promise keeper. That's what he says. and That's it's it's what he's saying in John 14. If I told you I was doing it. I'm doing it. I'm preparing a place for you. That you may be with me. God is faithful. God will do what he said he will do. The reality of the resurrection of Jesus. Gave these disciples immediate real life impact. And it does the same for us today. It powerfully communicates that God saves sinners. And that God Secondly, keeps his promises. And lastly this morning, here's the third immediate real life impact of the resurrection. The resurrection announces that Christ has conquered every enemy. Amen. Conquered every enemy. Now we're going to get there. I'm going to, Explain this to you in just a minute, but we've got we to gotta travel for a second. Look back at the text, Mark sixteen eight. They went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. They said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. I want you to think about that for a second. Some of you, you can't keep good news about a deal at the Dollar General. Right, you get good news and you're sharing it all over Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. You're sharing, you're sharing it with everybody on the planet possible. You know, eggs are two ninety nine a dozen. Whatever. I don't know how much they cost now. Like eight ninety nine now. <laughs> I mean, this is what we share good news. Can you imagine these ladies? They're leaving. They don't share it with anyone. The, the implication is, is that along the way to tell the disciples and Peter. They don't tell anybody. Wow. That's amazing to me. They said nothing to anyone. They didn't stop and take the time to tell anyone what they had seen and heard. And then the Lord begins to appear to hundreds of people over the next 40 days before his ascension. And then the Lord says this before his ascension. He says, I want you to go to this room, this upper room. And the Holy Spirit's coming. It's better that I go away because I'm giving you a promise. And it's the promise of the Holy Spirit to come to empower you, to tell everyone you know, to be my bold witnesses. And so the Holy Spirit will empower them and, and they will go from telling no one to telling everyone. Everyone. They will go from being afraid as they're going along the way. A lot of that was a fear and astonishment and awe and wonder. They were trying to get from point A to point B. But they will go from telling no one to telling everyone why. When the day of Pentecost was fully come and they were all accord in one accord in one place, the Holy Spirit descended in power and baptized every one of the 120 in the upper room. They were all baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues. They began to prophesy. They began to declare the wonderful works of God, and there was a commotion all over the region. Thousands came to see what was going on. The Holy Spirit gave them boldness. Peter, you remember the and Peter? The and Peter stands up, begins to preach to the thousands that had gathered and says, you crucified this Jesus, but he is raised now. They went from telling no one to telling everyone and 3,000 people got saved that day. Why? Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit and given boldness to witness. And that happens in every believer's life. Baptized in the Spirit and given boldness to witness. And so in the face of persecution and death, the immediate real life impact of the resurrection was what? What? Acts 12, 24, this is after James, the brother of Andrew, not the half-brother of Jesus, but sons of Zebedee, was beheaded from Herod. Acts 12, 24, the word of God increased and what? Multiplied. It increased and multiplied. They went from telling no one to telling everyone. And in the face of persecution and death, they had boldness to stand for the testimony of the resurrected Savior. What was the message that was increasing and multiplying? The message that was increasing and multiplying was this, that the resurrection announces that Christ has conquered every enemy. That's the message. That was the real life implication of the resurrection. They begin to declare the message that Christ has conquered every enemy. He has conquered every enemy. The curse of sin has been conquered. has the curse of sin? It means that all of us are born under sin. All of us are under the curse of sin. It means that when we sin, we don't sin because we we are bad people just because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. That is the curse of sin. We are all born in sin, and so therefore we sin. And that sin comes with the curse, and the curse is death. But the curse of sin has been conquered. The penalty of sin has been conquered. Christ took our penalty on the cross. The power of sin has been conquered. That means we don't have to be under the power of sin anymore. Anybody struggling with the power of sin in your life? The temptation that you face? That power of sin can be defeated in your life. You don't have to be under the power of sin any longer. Here's another enemy. The resurrection is conquered. The sting of death, 1 Corinthians 15, has been conquered. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? We have victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because he's raised, we will be raised. So when we die as believers, as believers in Christ, we know there is no more sting in death. We may have temporary sorrow for those that are left behind, but for those who belong to Christ, there is no more sting in death. This is the immediate impact of the resurrection, that we announce that Christ has defeated Every enemy. This is the message that those fleeing and hidden disciples came out of hiding to declare. And this is what I want to tell us today. This is our message. As I said earlier, don't undersell the resurrection. Don't undersell what we have to present as believers in Jesus Christ. It is the message of all messages. This is our message. Now is the time. Yesterday, I was cooking a gumbo, cooking a gumbo that we're going to eat today. And so it's been in the fridge overnight. It's going to taste really, really good. And I cooked some rice dressing, and it's going to taste really, really good. I know I'm making you hungry right now. It just, I'm almost done. As I was cooking that stuff, I had my laptop out. I was listening to a message. I was just stirred by what this preacher was saying about the resurrection and about the church. And in 2019, we, we, we had an Easter service. And then in 2020, we, we had an Easter service with nobody in the building. I preached to, to, to seats and to a camera. And in 2021, we had another Easter service. But I think there's residual impact of 2020 and 2021 and all the things that we've walked through. And I think there's been residual impact in the life of the church and the life of God's people. And this is what I want to tell all of us here today. The real life immediate impact of the resurrection is that we are called to announce that Christ has defeated every enemy in the heart of every human being that has ever lived or that ever will live. He has defeated the power of sin and death. Now is the time. It may feel like gospel impact is decreasing in our culture but that's impossible. That is actually an impossibility. Gospel impact does not decrease. It only increases more and more. And all we have to do is open our mouth and to announce the good news. So my question to all of us here today is what will our part be? Are we going to sit on the sideline or are we going to move forward with gospel proclamation? Are we going to think about the past and the way it used to be? When the gospel was moving forward in previous generations? Or are we gonna grab the baton and hold the torch of the gospel and move it forward for another generation? Think about all the people in your life. Think about all the people in the culture today that are not biblically literate. They don't know the stories of the Bible. They don't know about Christ and his resurrection. They don't know about they they think Easter's about a bunny. They think Christmas is about Santa Claus. They don't know the scriptures. Think about the power it is that we have to come and bring the gospel. Will you take the torch today? Will we move forward or will we fall back? This is the immediate impact of the gospel. How will God use us? We don't shrink back. We move forward. Just as the first disciples were empowered by the spirit, as believers, we have the power of the spirit inside of us. That same Holy Spirit that lived in them lives in us. And all we have to do is open our mouths. Amen? What's God doing now? What does He want to do? He's doing now what He did then, and He'll do in the future what He has always done save those that are lost, and He will do it through us. Amen? I'm a little excited. And Peter. So here's the conclusion, and Peter. This Peter that we started with, that he got immediate real life impact of good news as a sinner. You know, he's the one who helped John Mark write this account. History, biblical history tells us that Peter helped John Mark write his gospel account. You know, Peter, the coward, the denier, the one who didn't back up his words when, when, when the, his feet got put to the fire that Peter eventually helped Mark, John Mark, write his gospel account. And you know what's interesting about Peter and John Mark is they have two main things in common. Biblical history tells us that John Mark was a deserter as well. Did you know that? The one who wrote this gospel account we read in Mark 16 was a deserter just like Peter. Acts chapter 13, Paul went on his first missionary journey and John Mark goes with Paul and it says that, that at one point, John Mark, and it doesn't tell us why, but he goes back to Jerusalem. And then later on, Barnabas wants to send John Mark with Paul again on another journey. And Paul says, no, he left us before. I'm not taking him with me. And we see discord from the early leaders of the church over John Mark jumping ship. Look at Acts 15. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take him with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work and there arose a sharp disagreement between Barnabas and Paul so the first thing they have in common is that they're both deserters they're both failures they both jumped ship when the fire got too hot but you know what's beautiful I I love this we see this in Peter's second letter he speaks of Mark in his closing listen to Peter Peter and peter he came he came he came along he preached the first new testament message in acts 2 he wrote some letters first peter second peter it says by, by silvanius first peter 5 a faithful brother as i regard him i've written briefly to you exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of god stand firm in it she who was at babylon who was likewise chosen sends you greetings and so does mark my son i love that this Ann, Peter, they got immediate real life impact from the news of the, of, the, of the resurrection. This deserter, this one who abandoned, who jumped ship, who wasn't faithful. He knew what that was about. And he said, come here, Mark. Let me help you out. Let me, let me help disciple you and train you. you. I want you to become my spiritual son. And look what Paul says after the discipleship that Mark had under Peter. Paul says this. His last letter that Paul wrote. Remember, he didn't want John Mark to come with him for ministry. Look what Paul later says. Last letter that Paul ever wrote before his death. 2 Timothy 5. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. The first thing that Peter and John Mark have in common is that they were both deserters, they were both sinners, and the immediate real life impact of the resurrection is that the good news for them is that they can be restored. And that's the second thing that both of these men have in common. Restoration by the grace of God. Restoration by the grace of God, and both useful for gospel ministry. not powerful? This is the impact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to take an Ann Peter and to to take a John Mark and to take me and to take you sinners lost in our sin going our own way the gospel calls out to each one of us and says we can be forgiven we can be restored and we can be useful for God for his kingdom purposes both useful to the Lord for gospel ministry to declare the immediate impact of the resurrection which is what The resurrection is good news for sinners, for failures, for deserters. The resurrection reminds us that God is a promise keeper. And the resurrection announces that Christ has conquered every victory. So my call here today to you is I don't know who you are and where you come from and what you're walking through and the sins and mistakes that you have walked in and the guilt and the shame that you carry on your shoulders. I don't know the burdens you've carried in here today. And maybe you're like Peter or maybe you're like John Mark. But today, the resurrection communicates to you that you can be forgiven. Today, the resurrection of Christ communicates to you that God will keep his promises. And today, the resurrection communicates to you that every enemy of your soul has been defeated through the cross. You can be cleansed and forgiven. You can have a new life today. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 that he who is in Christ has become a new creation. And that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me here today? And I thank you for a room full of Ann Peters here today. A room full of Peters and John Marks. You are sinners and our only hope is to be saved by grace. And God, I, I pray that wherever any of us are in our life, I know for certain that you brought every single one of the people that are here today, you brought them here today. It wasn't their husband, it wasn't their wife, it wasn't their grandkids, it wasn't their grandmother, their grandfather. It was. It, no, no, that's not why they're here. They're here because you ordained them to be here today. So that they would hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that if there are some here today that don't know you, that are not in relationship with you, I pray that today that they would place their faith in Jesus, in the reality of the resurrected Savior. So what I want to do here today, you can look up at me here today. What I want to do here today, we're going to open up these altars. We're going to have our prayer counselors. are going to come down. They'll be down front here. And they'll be down that that middle aisle back there. And we're going to do two things during prayer. We're we're going to invite you to come if you have any prayer needs in in your life. Whatever it is, whatever burdens you've carried in, you need to be reminded today that God's a promise keeper. That he sees you right where you are. That you, for whatever your prayer needs are, we want to pray for you. But if you're here today, and today on Resurrection Sunday... You want to make Jesus the Lord of your life. We are pleading with you today. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we are making Christ appeal. Christ is appealing through me, through us today. Be reconciled to God today. Surrender to Christ. If you want to pray with any one of these prayer counselors, you can come down and you can tell them exactly that. I want to be born again today. And they will pray with you. And they'll talk you through what it means to be a Christian And if you confess Christ today and you come and you receive prayer, we have a book that we'd like to give you. It'll be at that welcome desk. It's called, What is the Gospel? I pray that if you confess Christ today, you would go and you would receive that book. So if I get the prayer counselors to come down, come down front and come down that middle aisle there. And we want to pray for you. You guys can begin to play some beautiful tunes. Whatever your prayer needs are, come and receive prayer. Whatever you need for us to agree with you about it. If you want to come to faith in Christ, come and pray with one of these counselors. We thank you, Lord, that you reign above it all. God, you are the risen Savior who reigns above all. And Lord, our hope is in you and our trust is in you. And we thank you for the immediate real-life impact of the resurrection of Jesus on our lives. And God, I thank you for all those that have come to worship together here today. And I pray that every life was ministered to and touched. And we thank you that You change us. We are transformed by the power of the resurrection. And I pray that as we go out today and spend time with our family and our friends and and eat a meal and fellowship, I pray that for the rest of this day and for the rest of our lives, that that we would be more in love with you each and every day, that we would celebrate the resurrection, not only today, but every day of our life. Lord, bless your people here today. Thank you for what you've done and what you're going to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I love you. We'll see you next Sunday.